This is Bloomberg Surveillance. The massive flows out of active and into passive have, I think, created more irrational pricing at the stock level than we've seen in some time. It's going to be awfully difficult to convince markets that you should raise rates when inflation is moving in the wrong direction. The inability to deal with fiscal policy is a reflection of our political gridlock, and I just don't see at the moment how to change that anytime soon. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Coast to Coast, Sirius and XM. Good morning, Florida and Ohio, as you vote today. Again, coverage across all of Bloomberg tonight. Uh, with all due respect, with their uh, special coverage, Mark Halperin and John Heilman is, uh, well, right now we do look at the politics, but more at the markets, futures are negative 11, Dow futures negative 79, foreign exchange moves. The Forex Brief, it's brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at IBKR.com slash Forex, stronger yen, abruptly stronger, 112.79, that's a full stick, 1.04 yen figures, 112.79, stronger yen, slightly stronger euro, and the dollar, which was stronger earlier, gives it up fractionally. Off challenging retail news, dollar Canada weaker, all the commodity uh, currencies give it up uh, as commodities take a pause, West Texas. 36.40 36.40 down 79 cents. Even ruble gives it back after a huge strong ruble move over the last uh, few weeks. So uh, there we are. Art Hogan coming up here in a moment. Right now, with a plethora, a plethora of of news. Do you start? Where do you start? I mean, Valiant. They're in their call right now, or do you go with Exxon Mobil? Well, you could go with ExxonMobil and the oil companies more generally because uh, you're seeing crude oil down for a second day in New York. There hasn't been a back-to-back decline like that in oil in more than a month. So you're seeing losses across a fairly broad range of energy stocks. ExxonMobil's down 1%. ConocoPhillips down 1.5%. Marathon Oil down 2%. You want to talk Valiant? That's fine. Valiant Pharmaceuticals, well, that stock's down 18.5%. The drug maker gave sales and earnings forecasts for this year that were lower than projections in December. Now, Valiant withdrew the earlier estimates last month after Chief Executive Michael Pearson returned from medical leave. Can I put that chart out on Bloomberg Radio Plus? Go for it, We did it. Absolutely. Uh, Another uh, drug stock lower, Eli Lilly. It's down 2.5%. The drug maker revised the final stage trial of a proposed Alzheimer's treatment to remove one of the primary goals of the research, so uh, a less ambitious study being done on that drug. Uh, on the other hand, you got Mead Johnson Nutrition up 10%. The maker of infant formula received expressions of interest in a takeover from Nestle and Danone. That's according to the U.K. financial blog Betaville, citing unnamed sources. The report said Mead Johnson is working with bankers at Lazard, and all three companies declined to comment. Uh, also, healthcare, a Lear down 6.5%. This is a company that Abbott Labs agreed to buy for $5.8 billion. Well, as it turns out, a Lear uh, received a subpoena Friday from the U.S. Justice Department for documents related to sales practices. A Lear also disclosed that accounting issues will delay the filing of its annual report to regulators. Some earnings of note. 
In retail, HD Supply up 5.5%. The building material suppliers' fiscal fourth quarter earnings and first quarter profit forecast beat analyst average estimates in the Bloomberg survey. DSW up 10%. The shoe retailers' earnings and sales for the fiscal fourth quarter beat projections. DSW expects sales growth at stores open more than a year to accelerate this fiscal year. Children's Place up 6%. The apparel retailers' profit for the fiscal fourth quarter surpassed estimates. So did Children's Place's earnings forecast for the current year, and the company increased its quarterly dividend by 33% to $0.20 cents a share. Got to mention Sellator. One more, one more, one more. CPXX is a ticker. The stock has risen more than fivefold in today's trading. I mean, the company was valued at less than $100 million before today. It's all about a proposed leukemia treatment called Vixios that had favorable results in a final stage trial. Company expects to file for U.S. approval of this drug later in the year. Very good. David Wilson, thank you so much. Art Hogan joins us with Wonderlick. He has, he has done this for years, and I like, Art, how you say we swing from data light to data overload. What does the data tell you of the equity markets right now? Well, I can tell you, Tom, and it's interesting. You know, last week we probably had the latest week of the year so far in terms of data, and the, and the only key input we got was the ECB, um, and they actually outperformed. Uh, and, and the only other piece of data that we looked at or the only catalyst that we looked at was energy, and unfortunately we remained pretty correlated to what energy is doing for, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. So as we head into this week, you know, the, the calendar is very full, and I think that's important. It's interesting. It'll take a back seat for a bit, like the PPI and the retail sales seem to be today as we anticipate what the Fed has to say to us, and they've got a tricky job in front of them tomorrow to deliver a message that sounds a bit better than the last time we heard from them in January, but not so much that uh, we think there's an imminent hike and, and probably you know not one until June. Is the uh, Fed that much of a driver at this point for the uh, equity markets, given um, you know everything else that's going on? Well, I think it is. I think that, you know, I think the, the Mike, the, the job that they've got in front of them is to work down some of the, the news that was delivered, you know, in their last statement. So, you know, balance of risk was removed in January. That hasn't been out of there uh, in the entire cycle. That probably comes back in tomorrow. I think that the dots right now currently stand at 1 and 3 8 for 16, exiting 17 at 2 and 3 eighths, and exiting 18 at 3 and 3 eighths, and a terminal rate of 3 and a half. I think those numbers have to come down a bit. They've got a lot of wood to chop if they're going to get to 1 and 3 eighths before the end of this year. I think that's going to look closer to 1% exiting, so that gives them the optionality of two or three hikes this year as opposed to four, which is kind of priced in. I certainly think they need to speak to financial markets, you know, having done better since the last time they were together. Uh, they'd like to keep us data dependent, so I think that's important. But, uh, yeah, the, the Fed's going to play a key role. What's interesting, though, Mike, is, it, and I think since the market has priced in sort of two hikes for this year in the Fed Fund's futures, that's manifested itself in some interesting action, and which has been constructive in the dollar and the dollar cross, you know, whether it's versus the euro or the yen. And, you know, whether that's a combination of, of things, we haven't seen that, you know, that pursuant strength that we're all nervous about that was going to wreak havoc with our emerging markets and our multinationals. So that's probably the good news, and I think that's where the, the Fed needs to walk the fine line today. What is the character of the blended income statement of the equity markets? We know nominal GDP soggy. I'm going to assume revenue growth is soggy. How do you perceive income statements with that dynamic? Well, that's a great question. And as, as we look at this, one of the things that we, you know, line up and say, you know, what's a, what, what would be a fair valuation and how are, you know, and, and how are equities priced in this environment? So, 
you know, when we sort of bottomed out February 11th of this year, you had a relatively reasonable multiple, right? And, and you could look at this with a 15 handle and say 15 times 120, if that's our estimate for 2016 earnings on the S&P 500. You know, we're, we're relatively attractively valued. Well, if you flash forward four weeks and you look at, you know, what markets have done since then, and I think it's, it's interesting that we're closer to 16.8 times, which gets you up into the sort of fully valued, even with the 10-year that's yielding something less than 2%. So to me, I think you've got a, you know, a condition where, you know, a lot of, a lot of our, our objectives for the year have been reached in the first couple of weeks in March. So, you know, that says we may be taking a pause here and, and you know, rallies may be, you know, back in, 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 a, in a place where they need to be sold for a time being. But I think that the, the, the perception of this market is that, you know, we are no longer looking at economic data that's pointing towards a recession in the United States, and I think we were pricing that in in mm-hmm. January and first part of February, whereas we're going back to what is going to be that sort of sluggish 2 to 2.5% two right. GDP growth rate that we've known through the whole cycle. Art Hogan, thank you so much for the wonderful like we catch up this morning, their chief uh, market strategist. Mike, we forget that the markets are discounting uh, mechanism out into the future something that Mr. Hogan's dealt with for decades. And I, I, I really wonder how you're supposed to discount out uh, the, the back and forth that we see within economics and certainly the confusion of central banks. To, well, me, to me, it's a draggy market where the punch bowl got reprimed. <laughs> yeah, well, the punch bowl keeps going back and forth. But what's interesting to me is the fact that the markets are so volatile based on central banks uh, rather than based on what the fundamentals right. of the economy are. It's all about what <clears throat> Janet says. Yeah, well, what we're going to do here, folks, and this is important, what we try to do is get away from the buy-hold-sells hysteria. Cynthia Coons is out of Penn State. She's going to join us in a moment. She has been knee-deep in the Valiant story. She's been on a call this morning. I'll be blunt, folks. It is not a pretty call based on the stock action. 243 down to 69, I think, was the stock price. And we've moved from 68.69 down to 56 right now. And of moments ago, bounced off lows seven minutes ago at 55.80. I'll be direct the call. Is not going well. We'll get an interesting briefing on this from uh, from uh, Cynthia Coons. We'll do that. She's with Bloomberg News and uh, really is a, a, a legit authority on their income statement and the challenges uh, taken. Futures are negative 10, Dow futures negative 79. There is a risk-off feel but a stasis to the market. I think that's what you suggest with Bank of Japan with our Fed coverage tomorrow. And then on to the Bank of England. The 10-year, 1.93%. Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Five more states will get a chance today to pick presidential candidates in primaries today. Today is huge for Florida's Marco Rubio and Ohio's John Kasich. They need to win in their home states to close the gap on Donald Trump's lead Democrat Hillary Clinton is out to stretch her lead on Bernie Sanders. Primaries will be held today in Illinois, Ohio, Missouri, North Carolina, and Florida. Syria's main opposition group says Russia's withdrawal of forces from the country will help peace talks in Geneva. A spokesman for the Saudi-backed High Negotiations Committee says the surprise pullout ordered by Russian President Vladimir Putin is a positive step. 
Bombers have left the Russian air base in Syria as troops are loading equipment. Dallas CV has won its fourth Iditarod sled dog race. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael, thanks so much. Brutal headlines unveiling that their chief executive officer says earning credibility starts with me. That will be next. Market Drivers brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. This month, your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers welcome spring with limited-time offers on select models like the Sporty CLA and Versatile GLA. Each engineered and priced to move, visit MBUSA.com today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures lower this morning with stocks still near their highest levels of the year as investors consider the capacity of central banks to boost global growth. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 11.5 points. Dow E-mini futures Futures down 87 and Nasdaq E-mini futures down 14. DAX in Germany is down 8 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 9.30 seconds. The yield 1.92 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.3 percent or 48 cents to 36.70 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1 percent or 12 dollars 30 cents to 12.33 an ounce. The euro a dollar 11.11. The yen 112.80. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is a house of cards. We've avoided the hype and the hysteria about Valiant, but unfortunately this morning it's nothing but an implosion. The stock is down 19.5%. The call has just occurred. Joining us now, Cynthia Coons, who has followed this soap opera for Bloomberg News. She has her training from Penn State, uh, where she was really a major grizzled reporter for the Daily Collegian, and she joins us uh, right now. Cynthia, what did you learn in the call about the immediate desperation of Valiant? Well, I think what was most interesting about the call was how much they had to focus on debt and what they talked exactly. about. Exactly. And this was something totally different. They've always said we're in compliance with our covenants and they've moved on. It hasn't been a call where in this instance they talked about debt probably – 30% of the time, and right. they came back to it. And one of the main issues is they talked about they're going to pay down more than $1.7 billion of debt. In December, they had said they were going to pay down more than $2.25 billion. So they've reduced their okay. expectations. Okay, but the basic idea is there's a trip point on equity price where debt becomes immediate. Are they anywhere near at $56 a share, the sell side's trip point where equity, the equity debt blend doesn't mix? I'm not sure about that metric precisely, but I do know that they are running into trouble in terms of when they file their 10K and what that means in terms of whether or not bondholders can yeah, call exactly. it a fault. Yeah. Now, what we know from having actually canvassed the market on this issue, we've been looking into this for quite some time, yeah. is it's unlikely to be a major problem for them. Usually bondholders will give you a waiver and you can just keep going. You pay and <clears throat> yeah. you sort of work yeah. this out. They're a huge debt holder, okay. so it's in the debt market's interest to not let them default on right. that issue. Within but your reporting, of Mr. Ackman and the sell side and the believers and the disbelievers. Is this a story about revenue dynamics, no pricing, and real mystery about unit growth at the top line of the income statement? Or is this a balance sheet soap opera about investment deals gone bad? 
And in some ways, it's both. I think right now, everyone's trying to get their head around where the earnings shortfalls are and why the numbers have changed so drastically. Is that on the income statement or on the balance sheet? That's what That's I want to know. That's on the income statement, but obviously, everyone always knew that the balance sheet was heavily levered, so it's just a flow through. The balance sheet has always been secondary because the expectation has been that they've had these revenue levers that now it's unclear why they aren't able to pull them and why so much has changed from January mm-hmm. to now. And so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of concern that they had numbers in December, reiterated in January. Mike was gone it was only two months and he's come back and changed these numbers dramatically. Now a lot has happened since he's been gone, but I think the magnitude of what they're doing here with the numbers has just really shocked investors and analysts and it's just much worse than anyone had expected. Mike, three years out, fourteen billion to twenty one billion on debt. It uh, it seems to be shocking to a lot of these analysts because Mike Pearson had some private calls with them, uh, some of them, uh, just a, a week or so a ago. A new low right and, now, by And the now way. they have uh, gotten a completely different story. What's up with that? Yeah, you can hear the incredulity in their voice voices. It sounds like when analysts get on, they're almost saying, hey, wait a minute. Some of them, their questions and the way they're phrasing them, mm-hmm. and what are you going to do about your credibility now, and what happened with Zyfaxin, and we thought those sales were going through Walgreens, and Zyfaxin is one of their, is actually their biggest drug at the moment. It's um, it's a, a GI drug that they acquired through Salix last year, and, and so there's a lot of questions in terms of, hey, wait, hey, wait, what you've been telling us up to now just doesn't feel like it's stacking yeah. up, so you can just feel the tone, and I I think we'll see it. We we'll probably will see that and reflect, reflected in their notes and perhaps their price right. targets. I mean, some analysts still have $200 price targets on this stock. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, Cynthia, when you look at the ownership of this, uh, Mr. Ackman is the number two ownership, Ron Cunoff, uh, you know, the usual victims. Is this a 401k institutional holding or is it all a set of holders who are in the game and understand it's a game in speculation. No, I think this is a widely held both stock and bond. I think where this this company becomes a major factor in in perhaps every anyone's 401k is that if you're someone's in a bond fund, those bonds that's going there's going to be a proportion of that that's invaluable because it's such a big debt issuer. So I think this stock and also just the the sheer size of it. I think there are a lot of everyday investors who would get really significantly hurt if this company doesn't pull it off. And, you know, they sort of hinted at certain end games and someone asked the question, would you consider breaking it up? And Mike Pearson said, look, if things don't work out, we will have to consider other options, but, you know, we're not thinking about that yet. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're not thinking about it, but they're not avoiding it or dismissing it out of hand as though they're not mm-hmm. looking at the future as a potential breakup scenario, but that does still feel like a ways off in terms of what they're talking about today. Well, uh, break up or sell part of the company. They issued a lot of debt to pay for a lot of acquisitions. Could they sell some of those acquisitions to raise money to pay the debt? Sure. They're already flagging that. They said they're in talks to divest some non-core assets. They wouldn't really give enough clarity for us to know what exactly those assets are. Um, perhaps as the call's still going on, so perhaps there'll be more detail on that. But that's the um, that's the real question. I mean, what do they sell? I mean, Cynthia, good luck with this. I love the headline: Valiant taking Walgreens cost of goods sold through the SG&A line. There's a cardinal rule. In, in CFA investment, when you get the headlines like that, you're in trouble. Who are their auditors? Are they telling these guys what to do? 
Uh, PwC, I believe, is their auditors, but these numbers are not audited right now. That's the other big question mark, is they're releasing unaudited numbers for the sake of giving the market an update, because it has been a while that and the worked. market wants it. But um, but then if you read the risk factors in the release, and mm-hmm. say, look, these are unaudited numbers, yeah. they could be subject to change. So Right. we got to get you off the radio, Cynthia, because the stock's down two points since you opened your mouth. <laughs> That's a bad thing. Cynthia Coons, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Really appreciate her coming off the call. Uh, she is with Bloomberg News with just terrific service uh, uh, studying uh, this soap opera called Valiant. When do you get the markets open? Bloomberg Surveillance. We're counting you down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And that is the sound of the opening bell. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow along with Tom Keene and Michael McKee. And the opening bell brought to you by SEI. Today's competitive marketplace requires asset managers to become more operationally adept. Imagine transforming your business with SEI's global platform at SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks lower at the open. The S&P 500 down three-tenths percent or six points to 2012. Dow Jones Industrial Average down a third of a percent or 60 points to 17,169. NASDAQ's down Four tenths percent or 18 points to 47.32. Ten-year Treasury up 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.93 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.94 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.7 percent or 62 cents to 36.56 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.1 percent or $13.20 to 12.31.90 an ounce. The euro $1.1106. The yen 112.95. Tom and Mike. Karen Mosco, thank you very much. Well, if we're going to talk about debt, debt covenants, and problems with debt, um, we need to talk to our problem child, Lisa Bramlitz from Bloomberg Gadfly. Did you did you go long valiant yesterday at 71? Wasn't that you? She that that was me. I was just You're actively. Like, what just, she would never buy she's, equities. She's a bond girl. She's like Ace Greenberg. She walks around with a vest on the floor of Bloomberg News with buy tickets on one side and sell tickets on the other. <laughs> and popcorn. Is this a... Uh, uh, well, it's just straight to it. How bad a shape are they in? Well, you know, the bonds are tanking, as you would expect. Um, one thing that I find really compelling is that the bonds are not going even further lower. I mean, they were lower at the end of February, and they're going back to that level. Um, but they're, I mean, this is this is terrible. A company is coming out and saying that they might not meet their debt covenants and that they miss their uh, projected earnings by by more than a billion dollars. I mean, this is this is a company that's struggling on so many uh, fronts and will continue to struggle. But you know what's interesting? This company has almost twenty billion dollars of debt, and it's held by all the biggest investors. I just looked at who the biggest holders yeah, of Valiant Debt. All right, it's BlackRock, Fidelity, J.P. Morgan. If you look at the biggest high-yield bond ETF, uh, Valiant is, you know, this, the 11th and 13th biggest holding of this particular fund. So, you know, the problem with companies that run into trouble that have a lot of debt 
is that you have so many investors with such a vested interest in keeping the debt prices up and that these are the bonds that are most frequently traded, that, that you're not going to really see the massive yeah. decline until it's too late. Well, and Max Neeson, we should be clear, is carrying the water on Valiant, uh, is carrying the water on Valiant uh, uh, for Bloomberg Gadfly. But, Lisa, you've seen this so much, the red headline from Bloomberg, Valiant plunges as much as 25% in early U.S. trading. It's another cautionary tale whatever the soap opera, on accounting. My experience is the bond people always get disaster before the equity people, always in every case. Did you off the bond desk at Bloomberg see the valiant challenges earlier? Did you feel like you guys saw it coming when you look at bond prices of valiant? Um, not necessarily. I'm I mean, just 110 at- down to 90. Right. I mean, but there was a pretty precipitous fall um, and it was in September. But that was really I mean, it kind of came along with equities at that point. And I would say that, you know, increasingly debt markets have had trouble figuring out the accounting to such a degree yeah, and I being agree. a leading indicator. Mike, in uh, the 50, same way. fifty two dollars, 22 cents down 25 percent right now. Yeah, uh, this is a, a situation where um, they are their own worst enemy in the sense that the, the lower um, the stock price goes, uh, yeah. the, the more the bonds are affected, the higher price they're going to pay on the debt that they owe. Well, think about what their model was. It was to borrow a ton of money to go out and acquire competitors and then jack up the prices of the drugs uh, in order to increase the profits. That's what their plan was. On both fronts, it's been stymied. They aren't able to jack up prices because of congressional pressure, and they can't borrow the way that they used to. And the the other idea here is just simple accounting 101, which, folks, for those of you with a Bloomberg terminal in your car, you can do off the weighted average cost of capital, WACC chart on on any of these things, is all of a sudden 30% debt becomes 31% debt, becomes right now 33.6% debt just because the equity moves lower. I mean, I'm sorry. They're, they're, they're you know, Medigliani and Miller, Merton, uh, Miller, they're, they're, they're linked to say the least. But this also, I mean, it brings us back to the point that people were making that the problems in the mar- in, in the economy right now and in the in the bond market in particular, but but broadly, go way beyond just energy. You have exactly that equation. After you have companies that have levered up so much, even if they say their earnings are a certain level, those earnings can drop significantly, and then you can see that leverage ratio go up pretty dramatically. I will say, Max Neeson sits next to me, and this morning he said he was. Yeah, what's uh, he say? He was he was running at the gym at 6 a.m. And, and he saw, you know, that Valiant came out and he was like, oh, I've got to get to work. And, you know, sure enough, he was at work by 630, you know, typing away. Yeah, I was and running at the gym early this morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, we're running right. at the gym. I was running Abramowitz, at the gym watching you. One more time letting us know we have no life. Uh, <laughs> new low, 51.24, down 26.5%. Valiant, Mike, has yet to find a bid. Uh, let's move on from Valiant, if yes, we could, and uh, talk to uh, Ms. A about uh, tomorrow's FED, um, the Federal Reserve uh, meeting, and uh, how bond investors are looking at this. Tom's been showing a chart suggesting two-year note yields uh, might be reflecting bond vigilantes. I don't know if 10 basis point move over six months to two years is is a vigilante or not. I mean, does the bond market have a firm opinion at this point, or is it just being blown about by the headlines? 
No, I think that, it, that this, the biggest bond investors who I speak with, the BlackRocks, the J.P. Morgans, the Goldman Sachs asset managers, they think that the market has been too sanguine about the idea of uh, of the Fed hiking rates again this year. And even though, you know, our WIRP function shows 2% chance of the Fed hiking this week, in other words, they're not going to do it, um, you know, they, there is showing it is showing an increased chance that there is going to be a hike later in the year. I think what – the big question among the people who I speak to now is what can the Fed do to, to change the conversation and bring it back to them? Because in some ways they've really ceded control to what's going on in Japan and in Europe. And, you know, at this point, the dot plot is less meaningful because it's been wrong so many times. You know, whether they hike a little bit now doesn't really speak to longer term rates, which are being pushed down by lower inflation expectations, as well as some of these unconventional monetary policies. So I think that, you know, there is a big question of what can the Fed say to show that they do have some control? What can the Fed say? I mean, what, what are people thinking? Well, they could talk about what's going on overseas and assess the uh, efficacy of him. I mean, what if they came out and they said, you know, we think that so far negative interest rates are not proving effective in Japan. What if they said that? Well, but they're not going I'd to. Right. I mean, <laughs> no, they're not going to. How's, how's issuance? How slow is Wall Street? 20 seconds. Uh, well, investment grade's actually really picking up speed, but high yeah. yield's still really kind of struggling. Okay, Lisa Bramwitz, thank you so much. Great briefing on Valiant. Spur of the moment, and, of course, her expertise on negative rates. Can't say enough about Bloomberg Gadfly somehow – if she can drag Mr. Neeson out of the gym, possibly he could find a little bit of time to write something intelligent <laughs> on Val- Valiant this morning. And we'll drag Cruel his man. sorry worked out butt onto the show tomorrow, Fed Day, to talk to us about Valiant. We do not have a 49 print on Valiant, but I'm not going to kid you. Uh, we look like we're getting there rapidly. Valiant uh, down 27%. Uh, we will follow this story through the day. It's become more than... Just a pharmaceutical train wreck. It's become now of almost forensic and accounting interest for global Wall Street as well. The down negative 98, the VIX, 17.45, uh, Dow down 100 points. All right, let's check in now with Michael Barr. Get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican presidential candidates Marco Rubio and John Kasich are hoping they can still hang on following today's primaries in five states. Voters will be casting ballots in Rubio's state, Florida, and K6, Ohio, as well as in Missouri, Illinois, and North Carolina. Democrat Hillary Clinton is hoping to keep rival Bernie Sanders from building new momentum following his surprise win in Michigan. Last night in Charlotte, North Carolina, Clinton says she has a debt-free college tuition plan that is more affordable than Sanders' plan for tuition-free college. We got to get the costs down. They have been rising too much. And if you say something's going to be free, there is no incentive to control the costs. Iran State TV says Tehran has retrieved thousands of pages of information from devices used by 10 U.S. Navy sailors briefly detained by Iran in January. Today's report from an Iranian naval commander says the information was retrieved from laptops, GPS devices, and maps. In a policy reversal, the Obama administration is set to bar Atlantic Coast oil drilling. Environmentalists and coastal communities said the activity would threaten marine life and tourism along the U.S. East Coast. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists 
and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thank you so much. Moments ago, a 49 print on Valiant, 49.39 down, 29% will continue to follow uh, this story. Tomorrow, Fed Day, Scarlet Fu, Michael McKee, Tom Keene at 1 p.m. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by the Jewish Communal Fund. JCF's donor-advised fund is the smart and efficient choice to manage your philanthropy. Call 212-752-8277. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Stocks are lower with the S&P 500 index slipping for a second day as investors consider the capacity of central banks to boost global growth. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down half percent or nine points to 2010. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down four tenths percent or 61 points to 17,167. And the Nasdaq is down four tenths percent or 20 points to 47.29. Ten-year Treasury of 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.93 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.95 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2% or 73 cents to 36.47 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.2% or $15.50 at 12.29.50 an ounce. The euro $1.1105. The yen is at 112.88. Ferro Corporation, a maker of chemicals for the manufacturing industry, recently receiving a takeover approach from Apollo Global Management. That's according to people with knowledge of the matter. Ferro rebuffing the initial approach, which was made without or within rather recent weeks, the people said, asking not to be identified as the matter isn't public. And Valiant Pharmaceuticals plunging in early trading as much as 25% this morning after it corrected its EBITDA guidance lower to $6 billion. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Traders University, even experienced traders need to keep learning. Uh, Traders University will get you up to speed quickly with short videos, webinars, courses, and more. Visit ibkrb.com. Slash, stay ahead. And Valiant continues to not find a bid. Uh, Mike down 29% right now. We have a 48 handle. Take your money, it appears, out of Valiant. Put it into Faro on the hope that maybe they'll restart those talks with Apollo Global. Faro up uh, about 10% right now. Here's some interesting and exciting news. Uh, The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, back in the United States, he's going to be in New York next couple of days. He wants to... uh, well, he's visiting some folks at the United Nations, wants to uh, run for a seat on the United Nations Security Council, Canada, that is. But uh, we've already given him a seat. We, we are very excited that uh, Justin Trudeau will be our guest at 9 o'clock on Thursday. Bloomberg Surveillance, Bloomberg Go on Television, John Micklethwaite will interview the new Prime Minister of Canada. Good. So you will not want to miss that on Thursday. David Blanchflower joining us now from Dartmouth on austerity. Is there still austerity out there, Danny? Certainly is, I'm afraid. And in the U.K., we've heard talk that the U.K. chancellor tomorrow is going to impose a big new round of austerity as the economy slows. Well, they've got a... Makes no sense. Makes no sense to me. They've got a pledge to balance the budget by, what, 2020. So um, he's, he's going to have to do something. In order to well, meet he certainly has a, right. well, he certainly has a pledge to do it, which no economist, as far as I can tell in the world, is a good idea. 
but he has a problem in the sense that there is a Brexit vote that's coming, so he has to balance the, uh, that, trying to make people feel good about where they are now, against the rather foolish pledge that he made to balance the budget. And the big problem he's had is that the forecast he made in November um, looked far too optimistic. They had a set of scenarios, and I argued at the time their worst-case scenario was my best-case scenario, and essentially that's what's happened. Nominal GDP got revised downwards a lot, and uh, the good news, if you like, the kind of bubbly news that he produced in November three months ago has now just sort of gone up in smoke. And he has this de- delicate balancing act to do. Uh, and my suspicion is, and the, it's well trotted out, right. he's going to cut $1.2 billion from the disabled to fund tax cuts, which is probably not uh, going to be very popular. David, I've had the privilege of sitting in your lecture at Dartmouth. You and I did something once for your good students in a Hanover community. Yes, Ages ago, I believe then some of what we talked about was in the textbooks. Most of what Mike and I talk about now isn't (laughs) in the textbooks. How seat of the pants are our central banks at this moment? I think that's a great question, Tom. I think I've said to you on a few occasions that if we look back at what we did when we went in, I sat at the Monetary Policy Committee, and we thought about what we do and what we did to, to and what, how we went to non-conventional policy and what it meant. And we were literally there flying by the seat of our pants. And we always thought, well, when we have to do exit, that's going to be very difficult. We're going to have to look at the data. And that's really a problem. And people say things like they have a plan, the Fed has a plan, the MPC has a plan. Well, they actually really the plan is to follow the data. And I have a sneaking feeling that right now looks a lot like the turning points in 2008. We've had very bad PMIs for the UK and the US, bad retail sales numbers this morning, bad wholesale data, which suggests that potentially um, we are seeing a turning point. And, of course, what happens today is that central banks can't cut rates by 500 basis points as they did in 08. I'm not suggesting the scale of the shock is as high, but it certainly looks that um, there are turning points going on, especially driven by the, the slowing of the world's second largest economy. The uh, to to go fold the what you were talking about with the the UK uh, government into the political campaign here. Um, pretty much any economist will tell you that it is not the case that countries have to balance their budget in the same way that right. uh, families do. But uh, on the converse side, is there an economic advantage to having a balanced budget? Well, certainly having credible fiscal plans makes sense. But the question, first of all, is over what time period should you balance that budget? Countries, as you say, aren't like households. And I remember one time, and I won't tell you who it was, but I was having a conversation with a famous central banker who said, that, they, that he thought that balancing the budget over about a 15-year period was a pretty good idea. In the UK, there's a debate between the, the two parties about what should you balance. And the Labour Party this week came out and said, let's think about balancing the, um, the, the if you like, the current part of the budget over a reasonably short period, but exclude from that spending on investment. You don't have to balance that. You can borrow money at such low rates that potentially this will be self-financing. So, it's, so the, there are obvious issues in the economics about over what time period do you try and balance budgets when when you're at the zero lower bound, 
And do you include investment spending? And my view is that you shouldn't include investment spending. And 15 years is probably a reasonable time across a cycle or so to try mm-hmm. and balance it. And obviously the Chancellor in the UK has found out the error of his ways because he basically can't balance the budget, said he'd remove right. the deficit in a parliament, and he hasn't even removed half of it. So plans written down are fine, but the practicalities in this world that Tom just talked about, yeah. this, is, this is a world we've not seen. You shouldn't have silly rules when these rules don't apply now. Um, I was just telling someone to read Skidelsky's monograph, The Return of Keynes, which I urge every conservative and uh, obviously liberal to read, and that it is so informative about when we get in the foxholes. I would suggest, Professor, that a large part of the Western civilization public feels like they're in a foxhole. Mike McKee mentioned the other day the exit polling out of Michigan, 80% or so of the people felt they weren't getting ahead. Eight zero. So a lot of people are in a foxhole. What is your Keynesian prescription that the establishment can affect to help the people who feel like they're in a foxhole? (laughs) And you got 30 seconds. (laughs) Fiscal stimulus, more monetary stimulus. If you think people have done badly in the U.S., in the U.K., real wages about 8% compared to the start of the recession. So essentially what we've seen is, I mean, on this program we've talked endlessly about it. My view is the Fed did too little stimulus and the fiscal authority bailed out of Keynesianism too soon. And that's why we have the dissent in the UK about Brexit and in the US about Trump and uh, and other groups. Well, I know when Dartmouth gets to the final four, you'll be at Houston. But, uh, (laughs) Professor Blanchard, thank you. So are you marrying any daughters this summer? Are you going to help the UK GDP again, as you always do? (laughs) I know, I always do, but not this year. Not this year. They're struggling enough on their own. (laughs) David Blanchard single-handedly turning the United Kingdom from recession to global to economic growth with a wedding or two a few years ago. He is at Dartmouth. Mike, we've got to look at Valiant down 33%. 3-3, that's not a... You know, You're not mishearing me. Well, here's the thing, and uh, you, you talk about stock price going up and down. Here's a, a great way to think about it. In by uh, As of June of 2015, last year, nine months ago, this was a $76 billion company. It is now a $15 billion company. It gives you some yeah. sort of scale on yeah. how much they Massive shout-out to Cynthia Coons, who's buried and personally came off the call to inform our show of what you heard in the call. And Lisa Bramowitz in Gadfly, really looking forward to what Max Neeson uh, will do with this. Mike and I don't do buy, hold, sell. You know, I know there's a whole industry for that, and other people do that. But this has now gone over to the realm of corporate governance, corporate finance, and almost – i, I, I got to be careful here, Mike. I don't want to say forensic accounting, but at least academic accounting. Yeah. To say to yourself, what happened? And yeah. still no bid. I don't want to say we found a bid here at 47.02. It does seem to have put in a bottom for the moment, but we shall yeah. watch that throughout the day here on Bloomberg Radio. Tomorrow we'll be with you. Mike and I have an extended, what is it, a 26-hour day tomorrow? Exactly. Something like that. You, we, me, and Janet Yellen. We'll be here early, early, early with perspective and conversation on these unusual times, and then we'll move 1 p.m. with Scarlet Fu on television and radio uh, worldwide for our special informed coverage of your Federal Reserve System. We are produced by YUN, Ken Fellio, our global technical director, Bloomberg Surveillance.